Jazzy, what does the calculator say about the shipping costs? It's over $9! What? $9? There's no way that could be right. At LegitMTG.com, we don't charge shipping for any order over $2 or more. We're not like those other guys who make you spend an arm and a leg to get free shipping. Come on down to LegitMTG.com for all your magic needs and be sure to get that free shipping special. That's LegitMTG.com. Visit today. Man, I wish there were others who liked retro video games like me. Did I hear someone say retro video games? I heard it too, Matt. Well, if you're a fan of retro video games as well as gaming in general, you need to listen to the VCR Gaming Podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Oh god, my house! And we are live, everybody, with another episode of Magic Wazubi. How's everyone doing tonight? I hope you're doing all great. It's been it's been a while since I've done a live episode here. It's um it's good to be back. It's good to be back. It's been um what like three or four weeks, four or five weeks now. I've had I've had quite a few guests on the show past few weeks. Um had a slew of guests, and that's usually what happens is I will just get a bunch of guests just in a row and because I don't feel like doing solo episodes, but now it's time to get back to Magic Wazubi's roots, some solo episodes here. And we have a lot to talk about. As you can see in, if you're watching the video at home, you can see that I've got a slew of topics. We're going to be talking about Dominaria. Uh, we're, we've got two deck techs I don't want to go over. And yes, I have not done a deck tech in a while here, like an actual deck tech. Um, it's there. There, one of the decks has been a long time coming that I've been meaning to update, and surprisingly, on my YouTube channel, it's blown up to almost like 2,000 views somehow. I have no idea how. And so, and people have been asking me for updates on it, so I'm gonna do an update deck tech, and then I'm gonna do another special deck tech where um, I'm kind of proud of this deck. It, 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 it's been a deck long time coming, and it's I, I'm excited to share it with you all. I mean, if you've listened to my other episodes, you already know what it's going to be about. But it's I'm 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 a little excited to talk about it here. So um, oh my god, here we got some feedback here. Whoops, my bad. But um, so anyways, how's how's everyone doing? Um, like I said, it's it's good to be back to do a live episode here, and yeah, I've had some really awesome guests lately if you have not listened to the show past few weeks definitely recommend that you do check it out Uh, i've had uh the professor on from Tolarian community college i've had um the two card sphere guys ted and michael uh two of the creators of card sphere cardsphere.com a trading card website similar to puka trade if, if you remember puka trade but it's better and um, then I had my good buddy John Dunning from They Said We Said, who had um, who has holds up a pretty cool um, YouTube channel. Uh, definitely check his stuff out. He does a lot. He does Magic the Gathering content, but also talks a lot about movies and TV shows as well too. So definitely check that out. 
Um, and then we're going to talk, if we've got some time, going to talk about some Dragonlance here. Uh, that's for my little D&D section. And then we have some special announcements that I'm going to make. And I'm super excited about these announcements. And I think only I know about these announcements. I mean, yeah, I, they're, they're, they're special super announcements because I'm excited about it. Okay. So anyways... Let's just get on with some what's been going on in Magic World. Um, uh, l- lately, past few weeks, I've not been able to get out for like FNM or even barely play any Magic. Um, my Magic Online account's just been sort of sitting there, not doing anything. And it's just, <laughs> I've been so busy. Um, uh, and if you've also been paying attention to my Twitter feed, it's you've noticed we've, uh, my buddy Matt and I, have ramped up VCR gaming production as well too. So we're doing VCR gaming live every Sunday at five o'clock as well. And, um, that's pretty fun. We've also got a new, a new, um, series we're trying to do a versus series where we both play some old ass arcade games and see who can get a higher score. Um, it's games that we're both really terrible at. So it'll be funny. Uh, the first one we're doing, which by the time this airs, it probably already have aired by now. Uh, it's going to be Donkey Kong. We're going to verse each other in Donkey Kong and see how we do and see how terrible we are at that game. That'll be quite the funny thing to watch. If you miss it live on Twitch, then you can definitely check it out on the YouTube channel. Just search youtube.com slash Zubatron. That's Z-U-B-A-T-R-O-N. Um, that's pretty much it as far as magic goes. I, I haven't really been playing anything. Um, I've just been so busy. I've, I've attended an FNM here or there. and um, Oh, I, I think this happened while I had all these guests on. Uh, one of my... Actually, my first LGS I ever attended. And yes, I was very late to the LGS game. I didn't start attending an LGS until Gate Crash came out. Or was it... Or was it Dragon's Maze? I think it was Dragon's Maze or Theros just came out. And that was the first time attending an LGS. And sadly, that LGS closed. Um, and it's we're only left with like one option in my town now. And they're really, really new. And I mean, like, it's March. So it's barely three months new. And it's starting to ramp up. And I'm excited to attend there and all that. So... I'm hoping that stays because if that closes, then, oh God, my local magic scene might be dying or might die completely. That would suck butthole really bad because if that game store fails, um, we, I, I don't know what I'm going to really be doing for magic because I don't, I don't have time on the weekends to play PPTQs or anything like that. And, you know, to, to do weekend events in, during the day. I have time to do weekend events at night, um, just mainly Saturdays. But then again, the closest LGS, if that one closes, the closest one I have is like 45 minutes away, maybe a little bit more. And is it really worth traveling that far just to play some magic? It, hell, I might become a magic online player more than anything and just attend some Grand Prix here and there. So... I really hope it doesn't come down to that. So please, new game store, don't die right away. And just, you know, just don't. That would not be good. Um, so there's that. 
I guess we can get right on. Let, let's get on with the first topic here. We can start talking all about Dominary. Now, if you weren't aware, uh, there was a Chinese leak of Dominaria where it had the release notes of the set and it had a whole bunch of cards spoiled in it. And I'm not going to be talking about the cards tonight. I mainly want to talk about the new mechanics of Dominaria because that is where I'm more excited about. I did look at the the leaks and I did see some of the cards. I didn't read every single one because it's like I, I, I don't care about the new cards right now. I want to see the finished product as in, I want to see the finished artwork and all that and how it looks. And while I can read the spoilers and see how it's all going to play out and try to brew up for standard or anything. Yeah. I, I'm just, like I said, I have read some of the cards, but I'm just, I'm not that interested in them right now until I see the full card. You know what I mean? Seeing the text will only do so much for me until I see the artwork if that makes any sense. So it got leaked out. Um, it seemed like it was an internal leak, I guess. And Wizards, props to them, they did own up to it, and they immediately translated those release notes because they were already being haphazardly translated anyway. So Blizzard, or Blizzard, did I say Wizards or Blizzard? I don't know. I've been playing too much World of Warcraft. So, um, so Wizards went out and just said, hey, we screwed up. Here's the translated release notes in all these different languages. And it's the release notes. The The part that I was interested in the most about the release notes was the were the mechanics, I should say. And um, I guess let's go over some of the mechanics here. I'm going to switch my screen here. If you're watching the if you're watching the video here, you should be able to see it. Let me just zoom in a little bit here. So the first new mechanic that they discuss are saga cards and saga cards. The Dominaria set introduces a new kind of enchantment sagas. Each saga tells the story of a key event from the past as it unfolds during each year turns. And here's a, an example of a saga card. It's so here's some of the rules for it. as a saga enters the battlefield. It's controller puts a lore counter on it as your pre combat main phase begins immediately after your draw step. You put another lore counter on each saga you control. Putting a lore counter on a saga in either of these ways doesn't use the stack. Each symbol on the left of a saga's text box represents a chapter ability. So each saga has a different chapter. It seems like... I'm guessing they're, they're only going to have three chapters. Um, so a chapter ability is, is a triggered ability that triggers when a lore counter is put on the saga, causes that is put on the saga causes the number of lore counters on the saga to become equal to or greater than the ability's chapter number. Chapter abilities are put onto the stack and may be responded to. So the actual counter isn't put on the stack, but the but the ability is put on the stack. So even if the ability is countered, it's still going to have a the lore counter is going to be added on. A chapter ability doesn't trigger if a lore counter is put on a saga that already had a number of lore counters greater than or equal to that chapter's number. For example, the third lore counter put on a saga causes the th third chapter ability to trigger, but one and two won't trigger again, which that makes sense. Because if it's reading like a book, you're not going to chapters one, you're not going to go back and reread chapters one and two unless you, you know, you're into that. Um, but anyways... Uh, once a chapter ability is triggered, the ability on the stack won't be affected if the saga gains or loses counters, or if it leaves the battlefield. 
Uh, if multiple chapter abilities trigger at the same time, their controller puts them on the stack in any order. If any of them require targets, those targets are chosen as you put the abilities on the stack for any of those abilities resolved. So it's very similar to how abilities work right now. If counters are removed from a saga, the appropriate chapter abilities will trigger again when the saga receives lore counters. Removing lore counters won't cause a previous chapter ability to trigger. So let's say, you know, you're up to chapter two, but somehow you remove those counters. You remove one counter and it goes back to you add chapter two again. Chapter two will trigger again. But when it goes back from two to one, chapter one won't trigger again. So that makes sense. Once the number of lore counters on a saga is greater than or equal to the greatest number among its chapter abilities in the Dominaria set, this is always three. The saga's controller sacrifices it as soon as its chapter ability is left to stack, most likely by resolving or being countered. This state-based action doesn't use the stack. So, and they so they just answer this question that there's always going to be three chapters in the Dominaria set. So that may change as you know we get more sets and i gotta say i really 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 like this mechanic um it's it seems like it's new and fresh and very interesting and it's something that is you, you know we're going back to dominaria where you know there's so much history and lore in it where this is sort of like maybe the gatewatch comes here and starts learning about what happened the pre-mending with you know the urza and mishra and um all that stuff you know teferi and all that so here's an example of a saga card right here on the screen and for my audio listeners i will i will explain what this looks like and i gotta say i am extremely interested in how this looks it looks very 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 cool a lot of people don't like the look of the frame because basically what it looks like is so so normally the way the magic cards normally look is you know you got the artwork on on the top and then all the text on the bottom so in sagas it's all the text is on the left hand side and the artwork is on the right hand side and that may change for other sagas we, we don't know what the artwork's going to look like for all of them or the way it's framed but if this is how they're all framed where it's left hand side is all is all the text and the right hand side is the art i am okay with that um if you remember back in one of my previous episodes where when Amon Ket was being spoiled and they had the split cards I hated that design and I made sure I talked about it because it just looked terrible. This this is actually a design that I really like because if you're looking at the screen, you've got you've got the full artwork here which it it feels like it shows more artwork. It's in more of a horizontal um area here and then it has plenty of room for the text too. So it is like split in half in a sense of, you know, text and art like it normally is. It's just instead of top to bottom it's from left to right and um and you can see here this card phyrexian scriptures which is two colorless and two black and even it has a little reminder text here as this saga enters and after your draw step add a lore counter sacrifice after three and if we see what this oh in sagas are all enchantments i can't remember if i said that or not um so as this comes into the battlefield, you, your first chapter is put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. 
So chapter two is destroy all non-artifact creatures. So what that's cool is, let's say you've got, you know, Scarab God on the battlefield. We're, we're going to use standard here. Let's say Scarab God is your only creature. You play this, you put a one-on-one counter on it. It's now an artifact zombie God. Um, and then chapter two comes and you destroy your opponent's board because they've got... Uh, they they built Jeskai Thopters because I, I love that deck. All right. They built a Jeskai Thopter. You know, they're going wide. And so chapter two comes, boom, all those Thopters are gone now. Um, and, you know, and let's say they have ways of getting those cards back from their graveyard or they're playing God Pharaoh's Gifts. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that. God Pharaoh's Gifts, how it gets all those freaking cards from their graveyard back. Um, so then it destroys all non-artifact creatures. So chapter three when it gets on the final chapter, reads exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. So that is a pretty that could be a pretty dang good card if um, God Pharaoh's gift is still a thing when it um, when this comes out in Dominaria. Um, I don't even know if God Pharaoh's gift's really a thing right now because I haven't really been paying attention to standard meta. It's been all modern, 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 modern lately. Um, so this is a mythic enchantment saga. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if sagas are only going to stay as rare or mythic, if they're going to go down to like uncommon or anything. But this is also a really good card for commander as well when you think about it, um, because you've got, you know, not only a board wipe in chapter two, but also exiling all your opponent's graveyards, which is really good. I mean, that's that's and especially in a format like edh getting rid of your opponent's graveyards is very can be very important depending on the commanders you're going up against so that is the first mechanic of dominaria that is being showcased here <clears throat> excuse me so another mechanic or i guess this is a major theme that they're talking about here is legendary permanence legendary characters new and old have risen to prominence across the plane and every dominaria booster pack that's that's a big claim in every dominaria booster pack you'll find at least one legendary creature beyond just creatures the set also features a significant number of other legendary cards um that's crazy so if literally every single booster pack has one legendary creature I mean, not only does that really call back to Kamigawa where legendary matters, um, but it's also like that's going to be a whole new slew of commanders as well, too. That's insanity. Um, I mean, and this is yet yeah, th this is going to be a large set yet yeah, because we've got large sets from here on out until the test of time or until they decide to change it again. Um, so it's that's going to be kind of cool to see. So starting in the Dominaria set, legendary cards other than Planeswalkers use a modified card frame with additional flourishes in the title bar. This change is cosmetic and has no rules meeting, but it should help you identify legendary cards at a glance during games. So I'm wondering if that is going to continue on past Dominaria. I'll be really interested to see that. I'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, if a player controls two or more legendary permanents with the same name, that player chooses one and puts the rest into their owner's graveyard. This is referred to as a legend rule. Yeah, the legend rule cares about legendary permanents with the exact same English name. For example, you may control Teferi Timebender and Teferi Hero of Dominaria. 
Um, legend rule doesn't stack. Okay, we know that. Other than legend rule, the legendary super type on permanent cards carries no inherent restrictions. You may control any number of legendary permanents that don't share a name, and your deck may contain any number of legendary cards, but no more than four of the same name. Okay, yeah, we know all that. So that's going to be cool. Like I said, that's just going to show a crap ton of new commanders going forward. That's going to be pretty exciting here. Uh, so another new mechanic they're talking about, legendary sorceries. That that that's something new. That, that and I, I'm going to be really interested in seeing how this plays out as 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 the set you know ages. And all that, especially in standard. So, Dominaria debuts legendary sorcery cards that capture extraordinary moments from our character's past. These powerful spells can be unleashed only with the assistance of a legendary creature planeswalker on your side of the battlefield. So, that's where legendary is going to matter. You're definitely going to want to be playing some legendary creatures. If these legendary sorceries are as good as they say, I mean, there is an example card here. I don't know if this is a real card. Or if this is just, or is this an example card? The example card they show is Urza's Ruinous Blast. There's no artwork or anything. And it says it's four colorless and a white legendary sorcery. And it's exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. So that's going to be interesting if that is a real card. And some of the rules or the release notes text for it is you can't cast a legendary sorcery unless you control a legendary creature or a legendary planeswalker. Once you begin to cast a legendary sorcery, losing control of your legendary creatures and planeswalkers won't affect the spell. Other than the casting restriction, the legendary super type on a sorcery carries no additional rules. Um, hold on one second here. That's gonna look up something. Um, I don't know. Hold on. But um, other than that, that's um. Sorry about that. But other than that, that seems to be a really cool effect. It's like I said, it these spells are gonna have to be really good, and that that is sort of the f drawback where you have to have a legendary creature or planeswalker. And I'm really interested to see how often that's gonna be used in standard and hell if there's some good enough maybe even modern uh maybe legacy i'm like we still don't know the whole set or anything we barely know the cards um because everything that's spoiled in this release document is there's still a whole bunch of new cards that we haven't seen and i haven't even read all of them i'm gonna wait i know some of the cards that are coming out but not all of them other than the casting restriction, the legendary super type on a sorcery carries no additional rules. You may cast any number of legendary sorceries in a turn, and your deck may contain any number of legendary cards, but no more than four of any of the same name. So, essentially, they're going to work the same as regular sorceries, but you need that legendary creature or a legendary planeswalker. Oh, so... Is, is there going to be... So oh, that's right, because they changed... Planeswalkers back in Ixalan to be legendary. That's right. That's right. I forgot all about that. Um, so there's also going to be a... So that that seems to be... Before we go on to the next term, um, that does seem to be a pretty interesting um, new mechanic. Um, I'm hoping it turns out pretty well. I'm not as excited about the legendary sorceries as I am compared to the saga cards. This is an interesting twist 
on casting sorceries. It's just let's see how it plays out. I'm sure in drafting it'll be fine. It's um, it's how's this going to play out in constructed, and it just remains to be seen. So, um, let's see here. So we've got a new term here, uh, historic. If you look at this set, saga cards, legendary cards, and artifact cards, you'll see a broad swath. Swath. I like that. Swath. Not wrath. It's swath. Of Dominary's extensive and mysterious history. Some cards celebrate the plane's storied past by rewarding you for playing these historic cards. Historic is a game term that refers to a card that has the legendary super type, the artifact card type, or the saga enchantment type. So what's interesting about that is all artifacts are going to be considered historic under this new term here. Um, a card spell or permanent is historic if it has the legendary super type, the artifact card type, or the saga subtype. Having two of those qualities doesn't make an object more historic than another or provide an additional bonus. An object either is historic or it isn't. So that's a good indication. So if it's like an, a legendary artifact saga, you know, that's not going to make it a triple historic card. It's just historic. Um, so this sort of, I don't want to say errata, but this sort of makes every single artifact card ever printed now historic, according to these cards, um, or according to this new term. It's a term, right? Yeah, historic. Um, some abilities trigger whenever you cast a historic spell. Such an ability resolves before the spell that caused it to trigger. If it resolves, it resolves even if that spell is countered. Okay. Um... An ability that triggers whenever you cast a historic spell doesn't trigger if a historic card is put onto the battlefield without being cast. So, very similar to a lot of cards, like whenever you cast, if it's cast, it's not casted if it's just put onto the battlefield. Like Aether Vial, you're not technically casting that creature, you're just putting it on the battlefield. Lands are never cast, so abilities that trigger whenever you cast a historic spell, historic spell, won't trigger if you play a legendary land. Uh, they also won't trigger if a card on the battlefield transforms into a legendary land, as the Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan double face cards do. So that is good to know as well, too. Um, so it seems pretty interesting. Um, I mean, I, I guess more so we're going to have to see what cards actually, what are historic cards you know, what are these historic triggers even going to do? Because in this example card, they just show whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. You know, is it going to do anything different? You know, what other kind of things can you do with this? It's it's neat, but it's also kind of... I, I, I have to really reserve my judgment until I see what more of these cards can do in terms of when you cast a historic spell. We're just going to have to wait and see there. It will be kind of cool. So, you know, you play like this legendary creature here basically states whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. So you get that legendary creature, get an ornithopter, you get retraction helix and you get midnight guard. And it's like you it's sort of like the altar of the brood combo. It's like, oh, I'm just going to keep drawing cards now. Boom, 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 boom. Um, <laughs> because retraction helix allows you to return target permanent ornithopter cost zero or memnite um and midnight guard basically you know untaps when a creature enters the battlefield so 
that'll be fun. Stupid little combo, but there you go. Um, so there's a returning keyword, and I'm I'm actually kind of glad this is back because this is because we sort of saw it slightly with um um I think it was Oath of the Gate Watch, and that's Kicker. I mean, with Oath of the Gate Watch, it wasn't Kicker; it was Surge. So, I mean, Surge did have similar qualities to Kicker. Um, Kicker is a returning keyword that lets you pay a little more to give your spell some oomph, they say. Uh, the rules for Kicker have not changed. So if you're already familiar with what Kicker does, it has not changed at all. And I am glad Kicker is coming back because it's definitely fun, especially with, um, oh my God, Goblin Bushwhacker, where you pay the kicker an extra red and it has haste and all your creatures get plus one plus oh which is really fun um so there's a new rules change as well too that is i don't know how i feel about it i guess i'm gonna have to really wait and see like how much is this gonna screw players over um is there's rules change that damage can't be redirected to planeswalkers previously you could redirect non-combat damage that a source you control would deal to an opponent having that source instead deal that damage to one of their planeswalkers with the release of the dominaria set this rule is being removed from the game a large number of cards that dealt a certain amount of damage to a target player are receiving errata using the following guidelines abilities that read target creature or player have been changed to any target abilities that read target player have been changed to target player or planeswalker however if the amount of damage is calculated by using information about that player or objects they control the ability remains unchanged and can now damage only the player abilities that read target opponent have been changed to target opponent or planeswalker with the same exception listed above these spells and abilities can target a planeswalker you control Abilities that deal damage but don't call for a target haven't received errata with one exception, Vile Smasher the Fierce. In addition to these changes, a small number of other cards that modify damage are affected. Notably, effects that prevent damage that would be dealt to a target have received errata under the above guidelines. So, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm not too thrilled about it. Um... But like I said, I, I, I really want to reserve judgment until we actually start playing with this new rule and see, you know, hey, is this really going to affect us as a whole? And I guess we're just going to have to wait from there. Um, there is the last thing. I think this is the last thing to talk about here is, yeah, some various non-functional changes that are occurring with Dominaria. Uh also, starting with the Dominaria set, several minor changes have been made to Magic's general terminology. These changes are stylistic and convey no change in functionality. The phrase mana pool has been removed from card text. The concept continues to exist in the game rules. If a player is instructed to add an amount of mana, that player adds that mana to their mana pool. And they give the example of Lanawar Elves. Um, instead of it saying tap to add green to your mana pool, it just says tap says tap add green that's it magic has adopted they as the preferred third person singular pronoun for a player replacing he or she um i know there's been some drama behind this and frankly i mean i don't mind the change it does get a little 
repetitive like when you're especially doing a deck tech for instance and you're having to say he or she he or she and you know there's some cards that say he or she he or she like two or three times it gets very repetitive um it's just i i guess the only thing i have against them saying they is as long as it makes sense to when they say they as singular or they as plural as long as that makes sense i'm fine with it i just really hope it doesn't get confusing for cards going forward which i don't think they will i think they're i think wizards is good enough at least with the english language to where if they just replace he or she with they that it will make sense when you're reading the card when it says they or there that it whether it refers to singular or plural but we'll just have to wait and see um I'm fine with the change. It doesn't really change anything. And I think that is... Oh, here we go. Abilities that modify how a spell behaves on the stack, such as additional costs, refer to themselves as this spell rather than by using their card name. Um, okay. I don't really understand that, but I'm not very smart to begin with. Um, last but not least, a bar now appears between rules text and flavor text on cards with both to make each more with both to make each more distinct. I'm okay with that too. That'll that'll be nice. That means to say, but that is about it for um Yeah, that is it for the Dominaria stuff. And I gotta say, I am really, really, really excited about this set. It was after seeing the spoilers for Magic 25, that felt like such a... I mean, there were good cards in Magic 25 from what were spoiled, but I'm, I was so meh about the whole thing. Like, and I, mean, I felt like I was more excited about Iconic Masters, which is, according to the internet, like a sin to say, because everybody thinks Iconic Masters is worse than Masters 25, but I'm just... I'm just really not feeling Masters 25 and, you know, props to the people who do feel it because, you know, hey, good for you. But I'm I'm totally not feeling it. I'm so excited about Dominaria. I've already ordered two boxes and I'm probably going to get a third and fourth maybe. Uh, I'm just that excited about this set. I haven't been this excited about a set since. God, I'm trying to think because Ixalan, I was rather lukewarm about like i liked the theme of it but it was kind of meh you know um amonkhet hour i i i was i was excited i want to say but not like oh my gosh i can't wait um i'm trying to think even the last set that made me this excited was probably like theros or cons or maybe battle for zendikar but battle battle for zendikar was so meh I mean, yeah, it was pretty meh. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, when you compare Battle for Zendikar for, from original Zendikar, it was just not, it was not fun. But that's neither here nor there. But I am definitely excited. And I really, really, really hope we're, we're going back to the freaking beginning of magic here. We're going back to Dominaria, the plane where it all started. And I'm really hoping that. Wizards actually needs to hit it out of the park with this one, and I really hope they do. I'm, I am getting hyped, and I'm really hoping my my feelings aren't let down because I want this to succeed. I want to go back to playing fun, powerful magic, 
and because let's be honest, these past few standard sets have felt pretty neutered. They they have done a good job since Aether Revolt on to make it feel more powerful because they have printed some really good, powerful spells. It's just, you know, let's go back to playing. Let's go back to feeling like freaking wizards again, casting awesome spells. That's all I want to go back and do, wizards, all right? I want to go back and feel awesome again, playing magic. Um... And not that, and I, I guess I should take that back where, because, you know, it is, it's not that playing magic right now isn't fun. It's just standard is just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's, I, I'm just excited and I hope, I, I, I just want it to do well. I'm really hoping they hit it out of the park here. And I'm even excited for the core set. Usually I don't give a crap. I mean, not that I don't give a crap about core sets, but I'm usually kind of like, okay, cool core sets here. Awesome. You know, it's definitely more casual magic, but I'm, I'm excited about, I'm excited about, um, core sets coming back too. So I guess let's get on to our next topic here. Deck tech time. Um, I'm going to see if I can get through both decks. If I don't, then maybe I'll do next week deck tech. I'm definitely going to do, um, one, the first one though. And that is, uh, just get adjusted here. Uh, getting adjusted in my seat here as we're live here with Magic with Zuby. And we are going to... And let me just change the screen here. Um, hold on. Hold on. Where is it? Yes, I have not done a deck tech in a long while on the podcast. So it's um it's going to be quite the treat for myself, at least. Um, if you're watching the video... Um, you are seeing a picture of Krufix, God of Horizons. Yes, these are going to be two commander deck techs, and they are going to be... The first one is going to be my favorite EDH deck, and this is my first EDH deck that I ever built. Um, he was first mainly a Hydra commander, and as soon as I saw him printed in Journey, to Ni- Journey into Nyx, I was in love and obsessed and just like, I need to play. I, I need to build a commander deck. I've played, I did play commander before um, journey into next, but it was never kind of like my thing or anything. I was kind of like, eh, I mean, it, it seemed really casual. I mean, and it, and to me, I do play it as a casual format. It's just, you know, I, I, when I saw this, I just had to have it. And I'm so glad I've pulled multiples after, you know, I, I think I pulled this one in draft one time and when I saw when I I think that was the first time I even read the card what it did and it was like whoa this seems awesome I I need to I need to build this as a commander and all that so if you're not familiar with what Krufix God of Horizons does he is first a three colorless green blue legendary enchantment creature god he's a four seven he has indestructible and as long as your devotion to green and blue is less than seven, Krufix isn't a creature. And in case you forgot what devotion is, devotion is those little symbols you see on cards that are permanent. So, and that's the the mana symbols, the green and blue mana symbols is what you're going to be looking for. So, Krufix, in order to become a creature when he's casted on the field, needs to have a devotion of seven or more. And... 
when he's less than seven, he's just an indestructible enchantment. But his abilities still take effect. You have no maximum hand size, which is always really nice in Commander, especially when you're playing up against a Nekasar and he's just making you draw cards or wheeling you, which is not fun. Um, if unused mana would empty from your mana pool, that mana becomes colorless instead. So the name of this deck from the very beginning, from the very get-go, was Bank Crucifix, where you put in that mana and you save it you put it in a savings account and you let it accrue interest all right you want it to build that interest and so then you can cast a really big creature and just be like oh yeah sorry guys i had to dip into my savings here and cast you know this giant 30 30 that's coming out to play so what else so what did I put in Crufix? Um, the last time I did the deck tech is I showed, I showed the deck as as it has evolved, and the deck has evolved since then. Um, for the most part, it is the same, but there are some updated cards here that I put in. But we're gonna start with the we're gonna do artifacts, then enchantments, instants, uh, the planeswalkers and sorceries, and then I'll get briefly touch into the lands and then I'll do my favorite part or all the creatures for last. So for artifacts, um, I have dark steel ingot, which is a three colorless artifact indestructible tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. I have been thinking about replacing this with Thran dynamo where I can add three colorless to your mana pool, which probably would be better. This is, I've just been keeping it in for mana fixing in case I can't get any of my land ramp cards. Um, and plus it's indestructible for any of my board wipes that may affect my board as well too. Um, so that's one of the main reasons why I have it in there. Uh, what else we got here? We got doubling cube, which is a staple in crew fix decks. You almost kind of need this. I mean, you don't need it, but it's so, so useful. Um, two colorless artifact. You can pay three colorless tap, double the amount of each type of mana in your mana pool, which, you know, let's say you put in eight mana in your mana pool. You pay three of it. You have five left. You tap it. And then now you have 10. I mean, essentially, you gain two more mana, but it's still, that that's just the point of it. Let's say you have 40 mana saved up, you pay three, you have 37, and then you just essentially doubled it to, what would that be, 74 mana right there? Boom. I mean, it's definitely more useful the more mana you have in the long run here. Um, next is we've got some protection for crew fix here. Lightning Greaves, two colorless artifact equipment. Equip creature has haste and shroud and it costs zero to equip. Um, I mean, for a long time I had swift foot boots on here. And then when I finally got lightning greaves, I quickly took that out and lightning greaves is just better. I mean, it, I mean, once you equip this on Crufix, you're never ever going to have to cast any anything else on them. No enchantments or anything like that. Um, next is we got Perilous Vault, which is a four colorless artifact. You can pay five and tap it. Exile Perilous Vault. Exile all non-land permanent. So one of the really good board wipes for Crufix, especially especially if your opponents are getting a little out of hand. Because with Crufix, at least it's easy to come back up you know if you do have a really big board and you just exiled all your cards i mean that sucks but you know you did it for a reason you had to board wipe in order to keep surviving here um next we've got planar bridge one of the new cards 
that I've put in. It is six colorless legendary artifact. You pay eight, tap, search your library for a permanent card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Now, I'm still going back and forth on this. This card has been very handy to put out a lot of the Eldraz Eldrazi I have, but it doesn't cast them is the downfall to it. So I've been really back and forth on this card, whether to keep it or take it away because of the lack of a cast trigger. Now, the times when I have used it, the cast triggers most of the time don't matter that much, but there are certain instances where they could have helped me. So I'm still teetering back and forth on this card here. Uh, and the last artifact is of course your infamous soul ring which is one colorless and you can tap to add two colorless to your mana pool i mean almost every single edh deck has this so there's no surprise that this has it as well so let's get on to enchantments here enchantments from beyond three colorless and a green enchantment it's devoid this card has no color at the beginning of your upkeep, put a 1-1 colorless Eldrazi Scion token onto the battlefield. It has sacrifice this creature. Add one to your mana pool. Pay one in a green to sacrifice from beyond. Search your library for an Eldrazi card. Reveal it. Put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Um, hmm. Search your library for an Eldrazi card. Theme much? Yes. There are a lot of Eldrazi creatures here. And a lot of them that are worth finding and keeping. So, I mean... This card is good not only for tutoring for a certain Eldrazi you want, but also good for maybe getting some one ones as like little dummy blockers to maybe protect your planeswalker or or just to help you cast some stuff as well, too. Um, so def definitely a really good card. Super cheap, too, as well. Um, one of my other favorite cards, Frontier Siege, which is three colorless and a green enchantment. As Frontier Siege enters the battlefield, choose cons or dragons, and there's only really one that you should be choosing all the time for in this deck, and that's cons. At the beginning of each of your main phases, add two green to your mana pool. I mean, why wouldn't you choose this? And then, or you can choose dragons, which if you choose this as crew fix, you're playing this entire deck wrong. And that is whenever a creature with flying enters the battlefield under your control, you may have it fight target creature you don't control. Um, no, don't ever choose dragons. Always choose cons. You always want cons for the Frontier Siege. If you choose dragons, shame on you, unless you would like to play on hard mode. Uh, and of course, an EDH staple here. A Rhystic Study, two colorless and a blue enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, you may draw a card unless that player pays one. Um, I mean, what what more needs to be said about Rhystic Study? This is almost a must in this deck where you want to keep drawing cards and get to those cards that you really want. Um, so this has been a card that's sort of been on the chopping block. Um, it's I haven't taken it out because it still is a really useful card. It's just... It takes so long to cast this, and especially in late game, like if we're going late, late game in EDH, I don't even care for this card by that time. And that's Zendikar Resurgent, and it's five colorless and two green enchantment. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. So essentially your force will tap for two green essentially, and whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. It's a really good card. It's for this deck, it's mainly for the mana portion. But like I said, once you get to a certain point in the end end game, this becomes less and less important. 
Um, so it's, I, I still keep it around anyway. So let's get on to the instance here. We our first instant is Aether Spouts, which is three colorless and two blue. Uh, for each attacking creature, its owner puts it on the top or bottom of his or her library, which I guess with the new rules, it would read for each attacking creature, its owner puts it on the top of their library, which is much quicker and shorter. So, I mean, really good board wipe. Uh, one of my favorite times I've used this card is against a Cranko deck where they literally attacked me with like 50 or 60 goblins and then I cast this and they just looked at me and cried a little bit on the inside and scooped because they knew they were never going to get that many goblins back out again <laughs> it was funny um, and then we've got blue sun zenith here which is X and 3 blue target player draws X card shuffle blue sun zenith into its owner's library um, always good card draw and especially X you're going to have plenty of banked mana so that i mean why not have this card uh and now we're going to get into some counter spells here clash of wills x and a blue counter target spell unless its controller pays x like i said with that banked mana it's super easy to um counter a spell that may cost 10 or 11 mana because you should be having 20 to 30 mana saved up at most times um next is good old counter spell two blue counter target spell i mean why not put this in and no brainer a uh, cyclonic rift everybody's favorite blue edh spell one in a blue return target non-land permanent you don't control to its owner's hand or you could pay its overload cost which is what's most commonly used you can pay six in a blue and basically it returns all target non-land permanents you don't control Basically, it wipes everybody's board except yours. And there are many ways to get this card back over and over again in this deck. Uh, next, we've got Dig Through Time, which is six colorless and two blue. It's an instant that has Delve. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Uh, next, we got another counter spell, which is a really good new counter spell, and that's Disallow, which is one colorless and two blue instant counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Very, very useful in EDH. Uh, Dissolve, it's one colorless and two blue instant counter target spell, scry one, because you never know when you may need to scry. Uh, then we've got Croson Grip. Two colorless and a green instant split second. Destroy target artifact or enchantment, meaning this can't be countered. Um, yeah, no, it can't be countered because players can't cast spells or activate ability abilities that aren't mana abilities. So, yeah, pretty good. Um, Mystic Confluence. Um, this has been a this has been a really good card in this deck as well. Uh, it costs three colorless and two green. Choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. You can counter target spell since controller pays three. Return target creature to its owner's hand or draw a card. So sometimes, you know, you may want to counter a spell, then draw two cards. So why not? Uh, Mystical Tutor, everybody's favorite blue tutor. Uh, it costs one blue instant. Search your library for an instant or sorcery card, then reveal that card. Shuffle your library, then put the card on top of it. So, what essentially are you always going to grab with Mystical Tutor? Uh, Cyclonic Rift, probably, right? Or, 
Yeah, pretty much a cyclonic rift. Uh, then we've got good old plasm capture. Uh, two green, two blue instant counter, counter target spell at the beginning of your next pre-combat main phase. Add X mana and any combination of colors to your mana pool where X is that spell's converted mana cost. This card is only in this deck because of crew fix. So if you have crew fix out, it is super handy to get that extra mana in your mana pool right there. Um, Polymorphous Jest. This card has saved my butt so many times in EDH, especially when you get those freaking decks where they go wide and they have so many pump spells and lords and all ways to get 1-1 counters. Um, well, not 1-1 counters. It wouldn't help, but just this this card helps out so much. Polymorphous Jest. One colorless, two blue instant until end of turn. Each creature target player controls loses all abilities and becomes a blue frog with base power and toughness 1-1. One, one. Saved my butt so many times. Um, power Sink. I like to call this the poor man's mana drain. Um, because the cost is X and a blue. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X. If he or she doesn't, that player taps all lands with mana abilities. He or she controls and empties his or her mana pool. So, like I said, I like to consider this the poor man's mana drain. Because let's look up regular mana drain here real quick. Um, it's double blue. Counter target spell at the beginning of your next main phase. Add an amount of... Oh, so this isn't really like the poor man's mana drain. Eh, my bad. I was thinking of something... Yeah, I guess I was getting it confused. Oh, well. Um, next card here. Pull from Tomorrow. It's X and 2 blue instant. Um, this card I find better than Blue Sun Zenith, honestly. It's draw X cards and discard a card. Oh, well, you got to discard a card. I mean, w w especially with Crufix, you're going to be drawing like 10 to 20 cards. Oh, no, you got to discard one. Oh, discard this crappy land. Who cares? Um, such a good card. Uh, rewind. This per this brings back memories from back in Urza Saga. I loved this counter spell back then. Rewind, two colorless and two blue. Counter target spell, untap up to four lands. Um, I remember playing this crappy blue deck with Rewind and Palakron, uh, what Cloud of Fairies and stuff, and it was just absolutely terrible. But I I enjoyed it back then. Um, Swan Song. It's a one blue. Instant counter target enchantment, instant or sorcery spell. Its controller creates a 2 2 blue bird creature token with flying. So, this can be very handy for when some crazy ass enchantment, instant or sorcery is cast and you're just like, mm, nope, sorry. You get a little birdie instead. Be like, boom, shakala. And everybody's free favorite green tutor card, which is worldly tutor, one green instant. Search your library for a creature card and reveal that card. Shuffle your library, then put the card on top of it. Um, and usually, of course, we're going to search for Emrakul or Ulamog or maybe Kozilek, depending on, you know, how you feel. So that is it for instance. Uh, we are going to go straight on to sorceries. Then I'm going to go to Planeswalkers and then the land and then to the creatures, as I said earlier. So Cultivate. We, so we're getting into some mana ramp here. There's not a whole lot of mana ramp. I tried to focus it more on card draw than mana ramp. Mana ramp is really, really useful early game. But after, like I said, I didn't want to put too much mana ramp in here because it's really not needed uh, later on. 
um, but it is useful to have here, uh, obviously. Cultivate. Two colorless and a green sorcery. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Reveal those cards and put one onto the battlefield tap. And the other into your hand, then shuffle your library. Not a bad basic mana ramp there. Uh, Devastation Tide. So this could be another card you get with Mystical Tutor because of the miracle cost. So Devastation Tide is three colorless and two blue. Return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. Unfortunately, that refers to your board as well, too. And it does have a miracle cost of one and a blue. You may cast this card for its miracle cost when you draw it if it's the first card you drew this turn. So that's where the Mystical Tutor would come in handy where you put it back on top and then you reveal it and be like, boom, miracle, blah, everything goes away. Um, so next card here, and this is one of my favorite cards, and this is where having all that mana saved up, it comes in really handy here. I'm just having to drink water here. Yeah, you, you really forget, like, when you're doing a live episode, the, the, um, the amount I've talked, I mean, it's almost an hour here, and I've talked nonstop. Whew, I'm getting a little rusty here because I've been used to having guests on. Um, so Genesis Wave uh, costs X and three green sorcery. Reveal the top X cards of your library. You may put any number of permanent cards or converted mana costs X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Then put all cards revealed this way that weren't put onto the battlefield into your graveyard. So what's one of my favorite things to do with this? Pay 20 to 30 into the X and pay the three green, then reveal the top 30 cards of your library and put put whatever you want onto the battlefield. I, I'll, I'm okay with that. I like that. Um, then we got Green Sun Zenith, which is X and a green. Search your library for a green creature card converted mana costs X or less. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Shuffle Green Sun Zenith into its owner's library. So basically, yeah, we want to get a green creature. Um, you know, maybe a Hydra Broodmaster or Eternal Witness or anything like that. Um, super useful card. Uh, this is also one of my favorite cards, and I don't think I'll ever get rid of this card in the deck, and that's Praetor's Council. Uh, that's five colorless, three green. Return all cards from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Praetor's Council. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. So what's really good about that is just the last part, the no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Even if they get rid of your Reliquary Tower, even get rid of your Crufix, uh, God of Horizons, you're going to have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. That's perfect. Perfect. Uh, next, we got Rampant Growth, which is one in a green sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card. Put that card onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Next, we got Recollect. Recollect, or Recollect. Two and a green sorcery. Return target card from a graveyard to your hand. Guess what card you want to return a lot of times? Mm, I want to return Cyclonic Rift again and again. Oh, look, another another similar recollect card that seasons pass. Four colorless, two green. Return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand. Put seasons pass on the bottom of its owner's library. One of those cards happened to be Cyclonic Rift. I want to get it back. And just wipe your board again. Shaka boom. And then last sorcery, but definitely not least, and that's Verdant Confluence. Four colorless, two green. Choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. You can put two 1 1 counters on a target creature. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Cyclonic Rift. Search your library for a basic land card, put on the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Um, so 
just in sorceries alone, you've got three, actually four ways to return Cyclonic Rift to your hand and keep returning it to your hand as well, too. Um, so we're going to move on to Planeswalkers, and that's Planeswalker, I should say. I've only got one Planeswalker here, and that's Ugin the Spirit Dragon, and he's pretty much the only Planeswalker. He's been the most consistent Planeswalker I've had. I've had others like some Nissa variants and all that. And I think I have had, like, Kiora and, um, oh, God, like, Jace or something. But Ugin has always stayed. When Ugin was released, he's been the only Planeswalker that's stayed. He's never been taken out because, to me, he's the best Planeswalker for Crufix. And Ugin the Spirit Dragon is an eight-costing Planeswalker, eight colorless. He comes out with seven loyalty counters. His plus two is Ugin the Spirit Dragon, deals three damage to target creature player, does a lightning bolt. He has negative X. Exile each permanent with converted mana cost X or less. That's one or more colors. So that does affect your board, but it's a really good board wipe. And then, of course, my favorite where if they don't kill Ugin within three turns, he has negative 10, his ultimate. You gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put up to seven permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. So <clears throat> that's Ugin right there. That's the best planeswalker. So let's get into the lands real quick. I'm not going to go into each and every single land. Um, I'm just going to name them off. And there, there is something you notice. I don't... Typically for my EDH decks, I don't spend a lot of money for the lands. Like, I don't really have the fetch lands in here. I don't really have shocks or duels. I do have the ability to put those in the deck. It's just I choose not to because I'd rather... If I'm going to have fetches and shocks and duels, I'm going to put them in Modern or Legacy. You know, I'm not going to waste it in EDH, honestly. Um, so for lands, I have 37 lands. I've got eight forests and nine islands. I've got Blighted Woodland, mainly for ramp ramping up. Command Tower, Evolving Wilds, which is a slow fetch. A Fertile Thicket for trying to dig for another land card. Um, Field of Ruin for destroying that pesky non-basic land. Maybe it's a Maze of Ith or something, you know. Halimar Depths for when I want to sort of brainstorm without drawing anything. Um, Lumbering Falls for the Creature Land. Moss Warp Bridge for trying to dig a little bit. Uh, Myriad Landscape for some more ramp. Reliquary Tower for no maximum hand size. Rogue's Passage for making a creature unblockable. Uh, Sanctum of Ugin to try to dig for an Eldrazi card or, or even a Planeswalker card such as Ugin. Uh, Simic Growth Chamber, Simic Guildgate, Temple of Mystery, which this is my favorite temple. I mean, the temple art. I love the Temple of Mystery art. Love it. And yeah, you'll remember I had Noah Bradley on the podcast as well, too. Fucking love it. Um, Temple of the False God. This one I'm thinking about taking out because it's a dud card if you get it early. Uh, Terramorphic Expanse, the other Evolving Wilds, which they need to reprint this card. I'm so disappointed they haven't reprinted this card in like since M10 or 10th edition, I think. I don't even remember the last time this was reprinted. Okay, well, it's showing the commander sets. I mean, and let, let it be an actual standard besides Evolving Wilds. Um, Thornwood Falls, Woodland Stream, and Yavamaya Coast for the Painland. So that's the land. Um, yeah, I didn't go over it that much, but I mean, they're lands. I mean, like I said, if, if you want to make this land base better, there's a lot of ways to make it better. Fetches, duels, and shocks will make it better. I just choose not to put them in, so... Let's get into the meat 
of this deck, my favorite part of the deck, and that's the creatures. So what kind of creatures are you going to want to put in crew fix and really wreck some people's faces with it as well? Um, some of those creatures you're going to want to put in are going to be first one, acidic slime, which is three colorless, two green creature ooze with death touch. When acidic slime enters a battlefield, destroy target artifact creature or artifact enchantment or land. <laughs> Love bouncing this guy and having him come back. I don't have dead eye Nav navigator in the deck, but if I did, yeah, that would be one target that would have. Uh, we've got Archetype of Endurance, which is six colorless, two green. Creatures you control have hexproof. Creatures your opponents control lose hexproof and can't have or gain hexproof. Really handy for when you don't want those targeted spells targeting your creatures. Um, then we've got Archetype of Imagination, four colorless, two blue. Creatures you control have flying. Creatures your opponents control lose flying and can't have or gain flying. Once again, another really good card for when you want your Ulamog and Kozilek to fly across across the board. You know, you got these giant Eldrazi Titans that are like got bigger than Godzilla and they can fly now, you know, because why not? But then they get killed by little flying squirrels, which is a whole nother thing. Birds of Paradise. Um, one of the best little mana dorks around. My One of my favorite mana dorks. Uh, it's a one green creature bird flying at one mana of any color to your mana pool. Zero one. I like I like that little dork. Uh, Burnished Heart, which is really good for some ramping. Uh, three colorless artifact creature elk. It's a two two. Uh, pay three colorless sacrifice Burnished Heart. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Put them on the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. Not bad. Not bad. Conduit of Ruin. Um, you, you may may not think much of this card, but he's a really good tutor and really good for making your creatures cheap as well, too. The first creature on your turn that you cast cheap. So he's a six colorless 5-5 five five Eldrazi creature. When you cast Conduit of Ruin, you may search your library for a colorless creature card with converted mana cost seven or greater. Reveal it, then shuffle your library and put that card on top of it. The first creature spell you cast each turn costs two less to cast. So you search for Ulamog. He costs 10. Oh, now he's going to cost eight. And you playing Kruvix, <laughs> eight mana is like <laughs> pennies. That's for peasants. All right. All right. We got our first Eldrazi Titan here. Emrakul, the promised end. I really wish we could put both Emrakuls in it, but that would just be way too broken in EDH. And I completely understand. So Emrakul, the promised end is a 13 colorless casting cost 1313 legendary creature Eldrazi Emrakul the promise end casts one less to cast for each card type among cards in your graveyard when you cast Emrakul you gain control of target opponent during that player's next turn after that turn that player takes an extra turn has flying trample protection from instance such a good Eldrazi good Eldrazi Next, we got Eternal Witness here, which is one colorless, two green. When Eternal Witness enters the battlefield, you may return target card from your graveyard to your hand. It's a 2-1. So, what card are you going to want to return? Cyclonic Rift, my brother. You're going to want that Cyclonic Rift. Next, we got Genesis Hydra. A good a good Hydra. He, he's, he's actually... He was one of the first Hydras I put in because I don't think I built Crew Fix until M15 came out. Um, 
Yeah, because Journey into Nyx came out, then M15. So he, he's he been in the deck since the very beginning. Genesis Hydra costs X and 2 green. It's a plant Hydra. Uh, when you cast Genesis Hydra, reveal the top X cards of your library. You may put a non-land permanent card and convert a mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield and shuffle the rest into your library. Genesis Hydra enters the battlefield with X 1-1 counters on it. So you pay 20 to Genesis Hydra. You you reveal the top 20 cards of your library and you you just so happen to put a Kozilek down there. Um, yeah. So this next card, this card has been in the deck since the very beginning and it's my favorite, favorite creature card. Better than the Eldrazi cards that are in this deck and that's Hydra Broodmaster. He has won me so many games that I will stand by next to this creature for the test of time. Um, he costs four colorless, two green, and he's got Monstrosity X as double X and a green. And if this creature isn't monstrous, put X one one counters on it, and it becomes monstrous. When Hydra Broodmaster becomes becomes monstrous, put X X X green Hydra creature tokens onto the battlefield. So he's got a double X cost. Let's say you and this has been an actual game here. You have what seventy five mana. You hold on here. I'm gonna pull pull up a calculator here. So you've got 75 extra mana. You know you're gonna divide that by two. Let's say okay. So you put 36. You put 36 into each X right there. Um, 36 into each X has come up to 72. Um, yeah, am I doing that right? So you pay 36, 36, and it's gonna have what? I guess 36. Um, yeah, 36 counters on it, and so you'll get. So then, Hydra Brewmaster not only gets 36 one one counters, you also get to create 36, 36, 36 green Hydra creature tokens. So you're just gonna overrun the entire board, and there's been many a times that they don't get rid of this creature right away and when it gets on the battlefield they're dead and that's just plain and simple they're dead um so like i said hydra broodmaster favorite card of the whole deck uh next we've got kozilic butcher of truth another eldrazi titan here and it's the old old school kozilic here uh costs 10 colorless mana when you cast kozilic butcher of truth draw four cards he has Annihilator 4. Whenever this creature attacks, defending player sacrifices four permanents. When Kozilek is put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffle his or her library, shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. Um, next, we've got Newbie Kozilek, Kozilek the Great Distortion, which costs eight colorless and two. Wait, no, it's eight generic and two colorless, I guess. I, I just forget to call it generic. Um, and the other Eldrazi Titan, which is a 12, 12, uh, when you cast Kozilek, the great distortion, if you have fewer than seven cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. So if you've got, if you cast Kozilek and you got two cards left in your hand, then you draw up to seven, uh, has menace, discard a card with converted mana cost X counter target spell with converted mana cost X really good counter abilities, but it's, it's never been that useful for me. I've already went over crucifix. Alright, we got Mana Gorger Hydra next here. It's two colorless and a green Hydra with Trample. Uh, when a player casts a spell, 
put a 1-1 counter on Mana Gorge Hydra. I've won games where people didn't get rid of Mana Gorge Hydra and he went up to like 20, 30, 40 counters and I just swung and be like, um, you die? <laughs> where it's like, why didn't you get rid of him? You guys kept on, you know, casting spells and okay, well, he, he's like a 40-40 now. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, so that's just kill Mana Gorge Hydra if he comes out. Uh, next, we got Murkfee and Liege, which is two colorless and green, blue, green, blue, green, blue. Um, it costs five, but you can pay two generic and either pay three blue or three green or any combination of the sort. Uh, it's a horror creature. Other green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Other blue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Untap all green and or blue creatures you control during each other player's ups. untap step. So, those mana symbols you see up there, the green, blue, green, blue, green, blue, that counts as six devotion right there. So, that is an easy way to activate your crew fix as a creature. Um, next is one of my other all-time favorite cards in this deck and it's progenitor mimic costs four colorless green and a blue you may have progenitor mimic enter the battlefield as any cop as a copy of any creature on the battlefield except it gains at the beginning of your upkeep if this creature is in a token create a token that's a copy of this creature um so one of my favorite things to do is make sure i have eternal witness out on the field Play Progenitor Mimic, copy Eternal Witness, get back Cyclonic Rift, cast Cyclonic Rift with Overload, and then and during the next upkeep, another Eternal Witness token is created, get Cyclonic Rift back, and boom, rinse and repeat. Um, and of course, there's in you know if you want to copy any other creatures that have entered the battlefield effects as well too. But you know that's just one of my personal favorites here with Progenitor Mimic. Um, let's make sure we're still recording. Um, Sakura Tribe Elder, one in a green. Really useful to first some mana ramp. It's a 1-1 one, one Snake Shaman. Uh, sacrifice Sakura Tribe Elder. Search your library for a basic land card. Put that put that card on the battlefield tap, and then shuffle your library. Seedborn Muse, three colorless and two green creature spirit, 2-4. Untap all permanents you control during each other player's untap step. What's really useful with that is... You know, so you can start tapping all your mana at the end of each player's turn. So that way you just keep gaining more and more of that mana there. Um, next, we've got Sumberwald Sage, two and a green. Add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast creatures. So more ways to not only cast creatures easier, but also to put that mana in your mana pool as well. Uh, next, we've got Teferi Mage of Zalfir. I probably completely butchering that costs two colorless three blue this is a new addition to the deck that was not in the previous deck tech video and that is he's a human wizard with three floor has flash creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield have flash each opponent can cast spells only anytime he or she could cast a sorcery meaning they can't interact on your turn with instance so boom love it um thassa god of the sea two and a blue a uh, five-five enchantment creature god indestructible. Uh, as long as your devotion to blue is less than five, Thassa isn't a creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, scry one. That's the main part. And target creature you control can't be blocked this turn if you pay one and a blue. Uh, those are the only two reasons to even have Thassa. I have been thinking about nixing her, um, journeying into Nix and getting rid of her, but it's um I I don't know really what to replace her with right now. Um, next, we got Nulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, or that's Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, 
uh, costs 10 mana. Whenever you cast Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, exile two target permanents. It's indestructible, and whenever Ulamog attacks, defending player exiles the top 20 cards of his or her library, and it's a 10-10. Jesus Christ, I've won so many games with this card. Way better than old Ulamog. I mean, new Ulamog or Nulamog is just ridiculously strong. Freaking love it. Um, and then we've got Ulamog the Infinite Gyre or Gyre. Uh, costs 11 mana. It's a 10 10. Um, when you cast Ulamog the Infinite Gyre, destroy target permanent. It's indestructible, has Annihilator 4. And when Ulamog is put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffle his, shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. So that's always good. And one of my favorite Eldrazi's that aren't part of the three Eldrazi Titans, that's Void Winnower. Costs 9 generic mana. Uh, your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana costs. Zero is even. Your opponents can't block with creatures with even converted mana costs, and it's an 11-9. That, that, I love the way that hoses some decks, how they just can't interact at all. And the last creature, but certainly not least, and that's Yavamaya Elder, that costs one in double green. When Yavamaya Elder dies, you may search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them, and put them into your hand. If you do, shuffle your library. You pay two to sacrifice Yavamaya Elder and draw a card. That is the Krufix God of Horizons deck. And I really thought I was going to have some time to do the other deck tech that I want, but I'm going to save that for another episode. And I'm also going to save the Dragonlance talk for another episode because we are well over an hour here going on much longer than I even anticipated or planned on. So we're going to skip the second deck tech. We're going to skip Dragonlance and we're going to go straight to special announcements and then we're going to end this show. Okay. So I've been kind of hinting it on my Twitter and it's it talking about, you know, some stuff here, but it is finally happening. I am going to be attending three Grand Prix this year and they are going to be Grand Prix Dallas, which is in May, the first weekend of May, and then Grand Prix Orlando, which is in August, and then going back to Grand Prix Atlanta, which is in November. And I am going to be making sure that I put it out on Twitter. And I definitely want to meet with some of the listeners. Um, I, I didn't really get to meet with any listeners last time, even though some said they wanted to meet up. I didn't hear back from any of them. So, you know, if you guys are going to be out at Dallas, Orlando or Atlanta, um, definitely hit me up and love to meet with some of you guys and or girls. And just, you know, chat about magic. Have you beat my butt in magic? Because I'm not very good at this game. And, you know, it'd be I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, once again, I'm going to be attending Grand Prix Dallas, Orlando, and Atlanta this year. So, definitely looking forward to meeting some of you all. Because I had a, such a good time at Grand Prix Atlanta. It was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to go again. Um, mainly going to be doing side events and like Popper and Modern. Not sure if I want to bring my Legacy Elves because I'm working on Grixis Delver, but yeah, I don't know. I'm almost worried they're going to ban Deathrite Shaman because of how popular Delver's getting. Jeez. 
I mean, I think Grixis Delver can survive if they ban Deathrite Shaman, but yeah, I, I feel like uh, they would just put Snapcaster Mage in instead. But it would still it'd still suck, man. I mean, I, I get it. Deathrite Shaman's so freaking good. It's such a good card, and it's so overpowered. And there's a reason why it's banned in Modern, but damn, that would just suck, man. All those Deathrite Shamans I have just kind of go down the drain. Oh, and it'd make Legacy Elves worse, too. Jesus, I don't even know what I'd put in Legacy Elves at that point. What, Elvish Mystic or Lanawar Elves, I guess? I don't know. Um, and also another announcement is I'm working on getting some merch. Buy that merch. Get that merch. Um, mainly shirts, playmats, and maybe a hoodie. Um, more than anything, even if any of the none of this stuff sells or anything, it's pfft, I've got some merch with Magic with Zuby. All right, with that logo. Okay, so I'm definitely working on trying to get some of that set up. It's just I need time, but I'm the big special announcement was more of my Grand Prix schedule, and I cannot wait to meet some of you all and play some Magic. It's going to be a hell of a fun time there. So I guess that sort of wraps it up today. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank everybody out there for listening. And, um, you know, you can definitely check out um, my video game podcast, VCR Gaming. We stream it live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then the audio goes up every Thursday. And you can find that on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I mean, if you're watching the video, you can you see all my Twitter, Facebook, and Gmail. Um, we've I've got Twitter at MagicWizzuby, Facebook.com slash MagicWizzuby, uh, Gmail, MTGZuby at gmail.com. And then also you can check out the Patreon at Patreon.com slash MagicWizzuby. The cool thing with the Patreon is you get early access to episodes a day early and be able to watch and listen to them. So that's pretty cool as well, too. But, um, other than that, that is about it. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening and have a great night, everybody. Okay.